to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Today we're going to be starting uh, the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be reading chapters 1 through 3. And before we begin, I wanted to start out with prayer. And uh, one thing to keep in mind with these prayers is that um, it's not necessarily a prayer for myself, but I want these prayers to have a personal meaning to each and every one of you. Um, Some people may be going through depression, some through anxiety, and some may need prayer for a loved one. And I put out these prayers um, to have a personal significance, a personal touch to whoever may be going through whatever prayer is in my heart to deliver. So, um, today's prayer, Father, my heart is full of anxiety. Things feel so out of my control. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I know you are the author of my future. I trust that you hold my life in your hands. Help me to grow in that trust when I am tempted to fear the unknown. Holy Spirit, remind me to cry out to God when I am scared instead of looking to other things or people to try to distract myself from the worry. Like scripture encourages us to do so, I cast all my anxieties upon you. Lord, knowing that you care for me because you are a good father that longs to provide for my needs, both physical and emotional, I remind my heart right now to remain thankful. You hear every request and every cry. I continue to cry out for help. I lift my eyes to heaven and fix my gaze upon my ever-present help in time of need. Lord, thank you for being a constant in my life. Thank you for being my solid rock. When everything around me seems to be shaking, I choose to rest in your peace, a promise that you are faithful to keep. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so the book of 1 Samuel, uh, what is this book about? And simply put, this book is about power, how to use it and how not to use it. Uh, Who wrote this book? We don't know for sure, but it was probably a court official or someone who had access to official historical records. Could the author have been Samuel? Uh, I would say probably not because he ends up dying in chapter 25. Sorry to break it to you guys. Um, This book was written between 1100 and 1000 BC. And this book fits in uh, the late period of the judges and continues through the beginning of Israel's monarchy to the end of Samuel, of Saul's, Saul's, uh, rain all right first chapter Elkanah and his family there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth 
in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph and of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Pinana. Penina had children, but Hannah didn't. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shalah to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's army at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days of Elkanah, presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice per portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkaniah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Hannah's prayer for a son. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shalom, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound. She thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked for him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Samuel's Birth and Dedication The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on to the, their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then... I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the, ch when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shalah. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. 
After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? And asked, I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord, give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. So chapter 1. In ancient times, much of woman's self-worth was built upon her ability to bear, bear children. So Hannah's childless state brought her a great deal of pain. To make matters worse, Elkanah's second wife, Panina, ridiculed Hannah for her infertility. Certainly Hannah had tried everything humanly possible to become pregnant. She was at the end of a rope, helpless to change her situation. She was unable to see that a fulfilling life could be found without children. Her husband, Elkanah, tried to intervene, reminding Hannah of his unconditional love for her. But Hannah was unable to accept his comfort. Hannah needed to seek God with a whole heart and surrender herself, including her desire for a son, to him. In verses 9 through 11, in these verses we read of the beautiful prayer Hannah uttered through her tears. She had carried her shame and grief for years, and now she released them to God. In fact, uh, sorry, in faith, she sought God and surrendered to Him. She not only committed her infertility to God, but she also vowed to surrender to God's service, the son He may choose to give her. Whatever grief and sorrows we carry should be released to God. As we commit ourselves and even our inabilities to God, He can begin a process of spiritual renewal that can have far-reaching influence for God's kingdom. Like Hannah, we all need to release our grief to God and release control of our lives to Him as well. Verses 12 through 18. Hannah's prayer was misunderstood by Eli the priest, who assumed she was drunk. In reality, she was seeking God and surrendering her infertility to Him. Sadly, though, attempts toward spiritual growth can be misinterpreted. And the insensitive responses we experience can be disheartening. To her credit, Hannah in uh, preserved, persevered despite the criticism she experienced. Eli soon recognized Hannah's integrity and encouraged her in her prayer. No matter what discouragement we may face, we must persevere. God will support us even if the people around us do not. Samuel's birth shows us that God is a listening God. He solved Hannah's crisis by giving her a son, the baby's name, Samuel which means heard by God. 
This would have been a constant reminder that God heard Hannah's cries and then answered. We can be confident that when we petition God according to his will, he hears us too. And no problem is ever too big for him to solve. In verses 24 to 28, the time came for Hannah to fulfill her vow to God. The process of letting go of her little son certainly must have been painful. But Hannah recognized her accountability to God and unselfishly fulfilled her promise by releasing her much-loved son into his service. Her choice reflected her gratitude and her confidence in God who had given Samuel to her in the first place. When we make commitments to God and others, we need to follow through on them. If we do, no matter how hard it may be, God will help us and bless our efforts. After Hannah gave up Samuel to God's service, God blessed her with additional children. So Elkanah may take the prize for the least caring husband in the Bible. His wife, Hannah, had been childless for many years and often wept about her predicament. Elkanah's reaction was to get logical. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? The official name for that kind of comment is clueless. One day, Hannah went to the tabernacle and cried out to the Lord in silent anguish, her lips mouthing her words of prayer. That's when the second clumsy male showed up in her life, Eli, the priest, watched her for a while and decided she must be intoxicated. Must you come here drunk, he demanded, throw away your wine. In Israel, during Hannah's time, a barren woman suffered public humiliation and disgrace. Being childless today doesn't carry the same stigma, but the pain and anguish are still real, and they often go unrecognized by the men in a woman's life. Women agonize over childlessness, while their men basically don't get it. The same holds true for stresses other than infertility. Men don't always understand why a woman is upset, but they certainly need to understand that she is upset. Ignoring the pain of another person just deepens the pain and opens the floodgates for many tears. It is far better for a husband to engage a hurting spouse in a tender way, asking questions, listen, Respond with words that convey interest in inner feelings. And don't try to come up with solutions to dry up her tears. She doesn't need a quote-unquote Mr. Fix-It. She needs a loving partner who truly cares. Alright, chapter 2. Hannah's Prayer of Praise. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. 
The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges through out the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel. And the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. Eli's Wicked Sons Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling. The servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shalah were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, Take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight. For they treated the Lord's offerings with content. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year, his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him. When she came with her husband for the sacrifice before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports 
from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and the people. A warning for Eli's family. One day a man of God came to Eli and gave him the message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he saved me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give me your sons? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people, Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that you that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family, so I will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before your time, before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family, and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before him, begging your money, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we will have enough to eat. Alright, so chapter 2. First, we start off with Hannah's prayer. And note the words in Hannah's prayer of rejoicing. My heart rejoices in the Lord. She was praising the one responsible for her deliverance, God himself. He had delivered her from the trauma of infertility, giving her a son. And after Hannah gave Samuel into God's service, he blessed her with other children. This certainly would have lightened the burden of seeing her firstborn son only once a year. Obedience was surely difficult, even painful. But it was for the good of Hannah and Samuel, and ultimately for the good of all of Israel. Our obedience to God, as painful as it might be at times, will ultimately bring us joy. It will also bring blessings to the people close to us. Hannah continued her prayer of praise, thinking, thanking God for blessing her. 
She said, those who stumbled are now strong. God provided not only the deliverance, but also the strength she needed. He gave Hannah the strength to persevere in the process, to seek freedom, to adopt new attitudes, to fulfill responsibilities, to set things straight, to build a new life. Such honest praise of God's power will naturally burst forth as we surrender our lives to God and see Him move on our behalf. As we surrender ourselves to Him, grieving and letting go of all our hurts and cares, the Father moves immediately to answer our prayers and do His good work in us. In verses 12 through 17, we see Eli's sons sinned unspeakably by treating God's offerings with contempt. They failed to realize that the sacrifices were God's provision for the people's sin. They stole from the sacrifices as if these ceremonies had been instituted for their own personal pleasure rather than for healing and purification. God has provided for our redemption by giving the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. If we treat Christ with contempt, we are guilty of doing the same thing. Let us show proper respect for the compassion, love, and power that God has shown us through Christ. Let us wholeheartedly embrace His provision for our healing. In verses 20 through 21, here we see that Hannah was blessed with additional children. God is in the business of blessing his people beyond their requests and expectations. In verses 23 through 34, here Eli confronts his sons about their blatant sin. He surely hoped they would make significant changes in their lives. Unfortunately, they didn't listen to their father. The young men refused to set boundaries on their behavior, and they displayed no desire to change. Their choice to go their own way brought dire consequences, ultimately physical death. Eli, too, made a choice. He opted to ignore his son's continued disobedience. Thus the high priest failed in his responsibility to God and was eventually judged for it. Eli was told that his descendants would die in the prime of life, including his sons, who would die on the same day. What a bitter harvest we reap when we refuse to turn from sin. First Samuel chapter 3 The Lord speaks to Samuel. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? 
He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Do you call? Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never got, had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family. From beginning to end, I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel speaks for the Lord. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, then got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him, but Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold back anything. It is the Lord's will. Eli replied, Let him do what he thinks is best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shalah and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle and Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel here in chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 learning to listen to God's voice is an important part of our spiritual growth God spoke directly to young Samuel but he also speaks to us through his word We need to take the time to understand God's truth in the Bible. There, we will find the wisdom and direction we need to progress spiritually. In verses 16 through 18, Samuel's honesty is obvious as he tells Eli everything. He even told Eli the devastating truth about the priest's own family and the suffering they would endure. He confronted Eli with his failure, stating clearly that God had given him. Such forthrightness forthrightness must be part and parcel of any spiritual growth plan. As we discover the truth about ourselves and others through knowledge of God's word, we will need to speak that truth to others confronting them in love for their encouragement and spiritual growth. This will never be easy, but it is an important part of any loving relationship.
before we get into the summary of what we read today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Samuel. No man wants to slither through life, constantly retreating from danger and slinking away at the first sight of a threat. We want to live with boldness and passion, facing down our fears and acting with courage and conviction. The question is, how do you achieve such boldness? How do you build the kind of steel in your soul that permits you to stand tall in the storm? Here's one suggestion. Take a clue from Samuel the prophet. This man faced down kings, cowed foreign armies, and inspired courage in the wavering hearts of his people throughout his long life. And how did he do it? His mother named the central reason even before her son could walk. He will belong to the Lord his whole life, 1 Samuel 1.28. The name Samuel sounds like the Hebrew for heard by God, as, as his mother Hannah was. Hannah, who was barren, told God that if he would give her a son, she would give the boy back to him, dedicating her son to God for life. The Lord gave her Samuel in response. In turn, Samuel's parents placed Samuel into the custody of Eli, the priest, in whose service the boy served the Lord and grew up in the presence of the Lord. As he matured, Samuel grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. So seriously did Samuel take his relationship with God that the Lord himself called him a faithful priest who would do what he wanted him to do. Right there, we find the secret to Samuel's boldness, unconditional obedience to God. Samuel developed amazing courage and strength because he tried to hear God's words and obey them. Is it any wonder Therefore, that Samuel could judge Israel for a whole lifetime? Is it any wonder that Samuel could boldly condemn King Saul for the Hebrew monarch's repeated failure to obey God's clear instructions? And is it any wonder that he could stand up to the rulers of Israel's armies and enemies, even slaying one himself as God commanded? Yet Samuel was hardly perfect. For one thing, it appears that he failed as a father. When he grew old and appointed his two eldest sons as judges to replace him, the people were upset for Samuel's sons. Were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Chapter 8 verse 3 You might think Samuel would have learned a hard lesson from his mentor the old priest Eli, whose own two wicked sons had died years earlier in an act of divine judgment. Yet somehow, this great man of God missed the lesson and made similar parenting errors with his own boys. In spite of Samuel's imperfections, God used him mightily as a leader of his people. Today, God wants to use you. Remember, 
We find great boldness and courage, not through strong family genes, but through committing ourselves to obey God in whatever He says. Do that, and you'll never have to worry about becoming a timid soul. So it's roughly... 1050 BC and the Israelites have been doing whatever they want. Things have grown continually worse in the promised land and they're sure their problems would be solved if only they had a king. Elkanah and Hannah are a married couple from Levi, the tribe of priests, and Hannah is barren. Elkanah has a second wife, Penina, who isn't barren but he loves Hannah more. Each year when they go to offer sacrifices at the tabernacle, Panina bullies Hannah. It's customary for each wife to have their own tent, so these trips may be the rare occasions when they interact. Elkanah sees that Hannah is crushed, and in chapter 1 verse 8, he says something that goes against everything their culture values. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Ten sons would give him incredible prestige. So it's remarkable that he says their love is more valuable. But his sentiments don't comfort Hannah. After dinner, she goes to the tabernacle to cry out to God. She vows that if he'll give her a son, she'll set him apart as a lifelong Nazarite like Samson. It's such a passionate prayer that the priest, Eli, thinks she's drunk. She explains her situation and he leaves her with encouraging words that cheer her up. He blesses her and sort of prophesies that God will answer her prayer with a yes. Soon after that, Hannah becomes pregnant with Samuel. True to her vow, she takes him back to God's house, offers in extravagant sacrifices, seeks out Eli the priest, and lets him know, I'm the woman who asked God for a child. He said, yes, and there's the child. I am bringing him to you because his life is dedicated to serving God. Eli commits to raising Samuel in God's house. Then Hannah worships God with a song. The song has three important themes. We'll see demonstrated as we keep reading. God values humility and opposes pride. God is at work among his people despite all the chaos around them. And God will anoint and strengthen a future king. Eli raises Samuel, but also has two sons, Phinehas and Hophni, who are horrible. They're priests, but they did not know the Lord. Scripture calls them worthless men, men of Belial, in Hebrew, or a child of the devil. They help themselves to more than the law allows, sometimes taking it by brute force. They take for themselves first instead of offering to God first, and they're sexually promiscuous. 
This isn't just casual disregard for God and His laws, it's contempt. They actually hate God's laws. Meanwhile, Samuel serves humbly. Eli has the authority to remove his sons from power, and God has even given him Samuel as an alternative. But all Eli does is rebuke them. Nothing changes. Since Eli won't remove them, God does. He sends a prophet to rebuke Eli and tell him everyone in his family will die young, including both sons who will die on the same day. Only one man in his family will survive. God isn't breaking his promise to the Levites. The covenant he established with them has always been contingent upon their obedience. They broke it. While Samuel serves in the tabernacle, God speaks to them audibly. But he has no idea what's going on. He hasn't even met God yet, so this is confusing. It's easy to see why he thinks Eli was the one talking to him. Eli eventually figures out that it was God and coaches Samuel on how to respond. God echoes his words to the prophet. Eli's family sinned with the high hand and they'll be cut off from God. Samuel is nervous to tell Eli the news, but he spills the beans when Eli threatens him. Eli surrenders to God's plan saying, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Samuel continues to serve and hear from God and all his prophecies are fulfilled. Hannah is the only female scripture ever records as going to the tabernacle. She has real intimacy with God. She takes her pain to him. This stands in stark contrast to Rachel, who was also barren, when she yelled at Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Genesis 30 verse 1 Hannah takes her problem to the one who can solve it, and she knows he can be trusted to care for her heart. Regardless of the outcome, Hannah goes to God because she knows he's where the joy is. Right, in today's daily devotional, rest in my presence, allowing me to take charge of this day. Do not bolt into the day like a racehorse, suddenly released. Instead, walk purposefully with me, letting me direct your course one step at a time. Thank me for each blessing along the way. This brings joy to both you and me. A grateful heart protects you from negative thinking. Thankfulness enables you to see the abundance I shower upon you daily. Your prayers and petitions are winged into heaven's throne room when they are permeated with thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks, for this is my will for you. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every one of you.